Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, later this month, friends and colleagues of a local veteran who died by suicide will stand silent watch at the Hancock County Courthouse in his honor and to support all who struggle with the psychological effects of their service. We'll learn more. Also this morning, with ground having been broken on Central Ohio's Intel plant, the other side of the 21st century economy is renewable energy. Can Ohio become a key player in that industry as well? And everyone knows that railroad crossings can be dangerous, yet nearly a thousand people were injured or killed last year. Stopping these track tragedies is the focus of Rail Safety Week this week. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, September 19th, 2022. So this I thought was interesting on the uh, Newswire this morning. One of the most uh, interesting stories that I saw jumped out at me Im- immediately. This is kind of like a uh, one of the uh, plot devices on, uh, I don't know, like a, a, out of a movie or a TV show where two political opponents form sort of an an unholy alliance which with each other i mean on the surface uh they are constantly battling back and forth but behind the scenes they're actually coordinating with each other to sort of play the public and i'm wondering if that's kind of what's going on here uh california governor gavin newsom who is running for re-election this fall uh has challenged to a debate the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, who I think everybody knows has political ambitions of his own beyond the state of Florida. So uh, Gavin Newsom tweeted on Friday afternoon, hey, Governor Ron DeSantis, clearly you're struggling, distracted and busy playing politics with people's lives. Since you have only one overriding need for attention, let's take this up and debate. Um. Gavin Newsom's challenge came after he asked the Justice Department a day earlier to investigate DeSantis using interest earned from federal money to fly 50 migrants from Venezuela to Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. So the governor of California wants to debate the governor of Florida over sending uh, immigrants to Massachusetts. <laughs> this this has got to be the plot of a movie. And then, I mean, this is not happening in real life. It's just bizarre. Um DeSantis also uh, mocked Gavin Newsom earlier in the day on Friday, saying, quote, I think his hair gel is interfering with his brain function. And Newsom responded, I'll bring my hair gel. You bring your hairspray. Name the time before Election Day. I just I I can't help thinking that these guys are playing all of the rest of us. (laughs) You know, this this can't be organic. This has to be coordinated, doesn't it? I mean, anyway. Just weird. Uh, what else is uh, going on in the words? Truth is stranger than fiction. It really is sometimes. Um, this is kind of interesting. A, a federal appeals court on Friday upheld a Texas law that prohibits social media companies from censoring users' posts or banning users entirely based on their viewpoint. The law has been championed by Republicans who say big tech is suppressing their views, conservative views. Social media companies argue that they need the right to regulate user content when they believe it may lead to violence and so on, raising concerns about unregulated platforms being used by extremists, Uh, neo-Nazis and terrorists and hostile foreign governments and the like. They charge that the Texas law is a violation of their free speech rights. They are private companies. They certainly have the right to include or exclude anyone they like for whatever reason they like. That's their argument. Ultimately, this case may wind up before the Supreme Court as the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruling conflicts with part of a ruling by the Eleventh Circuit Court that found that most of a similar uh, law in Florida violates the company's free speech rights. So you've got uh, uh, conflicting rulings here on very similar laws. It's worth pointing out that many Republicans have also supported repealing Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which protects social media companies from being held legally liable for what users say and do on their platforms. 
So uh, again, if you are going to hold the social media companies legally liable for what users say and do, then you have to give them the latitude to restrict what people can say and do. And if you don't want to give them that ability, then you can't hold them legally liable. So anyway, it's just the uh, more of the back and forth between uh, social media and uh, or uh, big tech and uh, politics. So kind of interesting. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to start your morning. Some of the other things going on. Uh, here this morning. I thought this was kind of interesting that I saw in the medical file, the medical newswire this morning. Researchers at the Cleveland Clinic have discovered that the brain damage that boxers and MMA fighters experience in the ring could reverse itself. The study found that after being in retirement for two years, these athletes scored better on cognitive tests than when they first stepped out of the ring. Uh, and it leads them to the conclusion that uh, any brain damage that they suffer uh, generally re reverses itself, at least to a certain extent. Uh, fighters scored better on verbal memory and executive functioning, and their brains actually became thicker in the brain scans. The results of this study suggest a recovery of cognitive functioning in fighters who are no longer exposed to repetitive blows to the head. According to Dr. Aaron Ritter, the Cleveland Clinic could be good news for professional athletes as well as anyone who played sports as a child or teenager and suffered a head injury. So, kind of I, you know, the whole idea of the brain regenerating itself, if this wasn't a study by the Cleveland Clinic, I might be skeptical, but Cleveland Clinic's pretty reputable, so kind of interesting stuff there. Elsewhere, the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. Welcome into a new week, by the way. Hope you had a uh, good weekend and all of that. Do uh, you know somebody who's uh, gone through a midlife crisis? Maybe you yourself have experienced the uh, phenomenon known as the midlife crisis. And that stress is all too real. Speaking of medical stories here, um, this is a paper actually from the National Bureau of Economic Research found the midlife crisis impacts people in wealthy, developed countries the most. People at risk of developing a midlife crisis tend to be in their peak earning years. They tend to live in safe places and tend to have few health issues. Stress increased for people in their 40s and peaked at age 45, which is right around the time that many people, men especially, uh, hit, those, hit that midlife crisis period. Factors that, contribute, factors that contribute to midlife stress include job stress, sleeping problems, and alcohol consumption, they say. So, there you go. Kind of interesting. Uh, by the way, the uh, Queen's funeral is going on right now. I don't know if you knew that or if you care. I'm uh, monitoring here the uh, the feed from London uh, from, what is that, Westminster Abbey? They came in and they uh, brought the, the Queen's casket uh, down kind of like the center aisle. And I'm thinking, how, how big is this church? It took them like five minutes to get from the, from the entrance to the church down the hall to... Uh, the uh, the altar there. It's anyway that's going on. So in case you care, we are not providing live wall to wall coverage of the Queen's funeral this morning. Uh, and this is crazy. Uh, how this is big news uh, potentially. Maybe the biggest news story of the day that you will hear. Our apologies to the Queen. Uh, this may be the biggest news story of the day, and I hope you're sitting down for this. Wheel of Fortune could be coming to an end, is what it says here. I'm not kidding. I would not kid you about something this serious. Host Pat Sajak opened up about the future of the game show in a recent interview, and he said he does not think that the program will make it to another 40th anniversary. They just had their 40th anniversary. 
And he said he doesn't think that it'll make it another 40 years. Uh, Drew Carey, who hosts The Price is Right, they just celebrated their 50th anniversary, and he was quoted as saying it could last another 50 years because it's timeless, it's ageless, and, and all of that. And Pat Sajak says, no, probably not for Wheel of Fortune. He says it has been an honor to have hosted the show for so many years, and he knows that Wheel of Fortune will live on in the hearts of fans forever. He went on to say that years go by fast and it's getting near the end. That was his quote. It's getting near the end. This December, by the way, marks 41 years of Pat Sajak as host of Wheel of Fortune. So doesn't think that the show will. I don't know. I The way I read that, though, it sounds pretty presumptuous. Uh, it, it sounds like Pat Sajak is talking about maybe hanging it up after having hosted the show for 41 years. But that's pretty presumptuous of him to think that without him, the show would not go on. They'll find another host, and they'll carry forward. They'll keep calm and carry on, as they say. I don't know. maybe Or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I know if I, I'm thinking if The Price is Right can survive Bob Barker's retirement, if Jeopardy can survive uh, Alex Trebek's passing, then certainly Wheel of Fortune can survive without Pat Sajak. Vanna White, maybe not, but Pat Sajak. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Showers and storms are possible today, a high around 80. It'll be partly cloudy tonight, a low in the mid-50s. A motorcyclist from Macomb had to be flown to a hospital after being hit by an SUV in the village. The Hancock County Sheriff's Office says the 67-year-old was southbound on Park Drive South on his Honda motorcycle when he was hit in an intersection. The Sheriff's Office says the motorcyclist was life-flighted to a Toledo hospital while the driver of the SUV was treated at the scene. That crash remains under investigation. The Ohio Department of Natural Resources held a ribbon cutting in Finley to open the Oakwoods Nature Preserve Wetland Restoration Project. The Hancock Park District's Chad Carroll says the project is part of the state's H2 Ohio program. Altogether, I think there's 113 H2 Ohio projects, and the fact that we have three in Hancock County and three that people are able to go out and enjoy is great. As Chad mentioned, there is a third H2 Ohio project underway just east of the Finley Reservoirs, which will open in the spring. Get more on the website. A spotted lanternfly, an invasive bug from Asia that can devastate grapevines, has been found in parts of Ohio. Dan Kenny is chief of the Ohio Department of Agriculture's Plant Health Division. Uh, we definitely have detected spotted lanternfly. It seems to indicate that it will, at a minimum, increase the cost of production for vineyards, for one, and also orchards and, and other crops could be affected. The state is asking for the public's help in tracking the lanternfly. In Cleveland, Carl Bachtel. The retiring Chief Justice of the Ohio Supreme Court, Republican Maureen O'Connor, is calling for a new constitutional amendment to address political gerrymandering. O'Connor is leaving the bench at the end of the year because of age limits. She said the current redistricting system isn't working and has led to voters casting ballots this fall based on unconstitutional maps. O'Connor called for a new amendment that would remove all partisan politics from the process. Republicans on the redistricting commission approve maps that Democrats on the state Supreme Court plus O'Connor declared unconstitutional five times. Dave James, I went in news. Election day is on Tuesday, November 8th. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Joining us in the studio this morning, Titus Allen from uh, Allen Cramp uh, Wealth Management, who's been with us on the uh, program before. And I think this really speaks to uh, what we want to talk about this morning and the significance of it with everything that's going on in the world of uh, investment and finance and the economy and all of that. We're not really talking about any of that this morning, uh, rather uh, talking about a, a program uh, that you have, uh, that you're involved with coming up involving Silent Watch. Uh, first of all, I- explain what Silent Watch is and why this is so significant. So Silent Watch is a program that was put together by 22 a day. It's a um, nonprofit that basically just wants to bring attention and strives to bring attention to um, every day we lose 22 veterans to suicide, mm-hmm. um, and that works out to be about one every 65 minutes. So um, basically, we will be uh, starting at 5 o'clock, or excuse me, starting at 7, opening ceremonies um, in front of the courthouse here in Finley. 
uh, ending ceremonies are at five. And um, in Silent Watch, we just ask that uh, people uh, stand by the casket. There will be a casket there representing the, the troops we've, we've lost. Mm-hmm. And um, for 22 minutes, and, and then we rotate out, and there's a little bit of a, a process on the rotation uh, yeah. ceremony. It, it is uh, such a moving uh tribute and a, and a recognition of such an important uh, problem that we have uh, in this country. I, I could I be hard-pressed to think of any more powerful way of uh, recognizing just how serious this problem is. Yes, and that's, that's why we picked this month. Uh, this month is uh, Suicide Prevention Month in mm-hmm. September. Yeah. We lost one of our great friends, um, Gavin Smith. Yeah, I was going to say the 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 tie-in here, and one of the reasons why uh, this has become such a, a personal thing and and uh, something that that you have become involved in uh, is because of a uh, colleague uh, of yours, a peer of yours. Yeah, gr- great friend, um, got, kind of guy that would give you the shirt right off of his back uh, after nine eleven. He rushed out and joined hmm. um, immediately. Did a couple tours in Afghanistan. Uh, the entire time uh, I knew him. Um, you could tell he was struggling with PTSD, although most people didn't realize that, but we were pretty close, so mm-hmm. you could see it in his life. Um, so, yeah, we lost him in November, and um, just we're all on our own journeys, and that's when I realized these these fine young men and women that give us everything as a country give it give us their all. Yeah. They come back uh, sometimes broken, and, and we're, as a society, we're really good at seeing the uh, appendages or, or physical... Right, uh, but but with those one th- those wounds you can't see, mm-hmm. and, and what I learned is again they're, they're not weak. Um, and, and suicide prevention month, you know, they're, they're not weak; they're just broken. And suicide prevention month, as a society, we don't. Uh, um, we, we try and tell people pick yourself up by your bootstraps, right? And they, exactly, they, they don't see the help, and that's even ten times worse with the troops, yeah, who are just mentally geared to be supposed supposed to be tough, and and. and- you mentioned that this is something that you saw in in your friend, um, but it's not something that uh, everybody immediately sees. Was this sort of an eye opener for you? I mean, you know, seeing your friend go through these struggles, you don't like you said you don't see it until someone you know is individually struggling with it. Exactly, it's a, it's a. Like we all in like in life, we're all on our journeys. This is where I learned just how hard and silent of a killer that is, mm-hmm. and that, that again, that they're just they're not weak; they're just broken, and they need mm-hmm. help. And there's resources out there, um, and so that's what we're attempting to do with this: is just bring attention to um, the resources that are available and available. And what I've noticed about the people in Finley, they're very good, and they're, they 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 um, they get involved. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they just need to know what the problem is. Yeah, and so. Our our goal here is to just point out, hey, here's the problem. Here's the people in the community it has affected. Here's ways you can get involved. Yeah, we got some great uh, things in Finley, and if you want to make donations, here are some great organizations, both local um, and national. If you if you want to donate that way, yeah, well, that's uh, another component of this. Obviously, we want to raise awareness, uh, but also uh, recognize that uh, resources are needed to. Uh, the funds are needed to continue to make these resources uh, available and developing new resources because the research continues on uh, you know further resources to make uh, a difference in the lives of these individuals. Right, and that's what uh, 22 a day part of their project is, is that they have, um, and I won't get into the medical terms, but uh, procedures like SGB, um, or excuse me, um, S- yeah, it's SGB, that, that the vets affairs haven't quite approved or will pay for, but has shown great progress in reducing PTSD system uh, symptoms in the vets. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, yeah, we just wanted to get that out there. And um, another great play, another great way that you can get involved uh, to help them. So the uh, so the Silent Watch uh, event is coming up on Thursday, September the 29th. Kind of uh, give us more information about uh, that event and and how that will get. It's, a, it's really a day long event, right? Correct. Uh, 7 a.m. It'll start. There's a ceremony at the beginning, um, and it concludes at 5 p.m. 
um, with the netting ceremony. And then every 22 minutes, we rotate out. And if people want, want the to... The 22 s- minutes being significant. For, and by the way, this is all happening right in front of the Hancock County Courthouse. So right in the public square where it's, you know, where everyone will see it and, you know, it's everyone confronts it. It's hard to, you know, not see. It's hard to... Correct. And, yeah. and every 22 minutes, we'll roll out new people. So if anybody does want to stand silent watch by the casket they're they're welcome um also there'll be information again uh, around uh, the same site so you can get information on local uh organizations that will help vets and um make donations or get information so how do folks uh, sign up for this to uh, to stand watch i mean do you have to register in advance or you know how how will that work um they can call the offices um leah uh, is heading this up at our office and okay. um, she, she can get those scheduled if anybody wants to, to get involved in that way. And uh, we mentioned that Silent Watch is an organization uh, which again works to raise awareness uh, for this uh, problem and, and addressing it, the, the various resources that are out there, uh, raising awareness. Uh, folks can find them uh, online as well, right? Correct. Um, very easy to find since they're the only one that has that that unique of a name. Yeah, um, and uh, of course we know that there are resources within this community as well. So we would be remiss if we didn't mention that for those who are struggling with this, uh, Hancock County Veterans Services obviously a good place to start. But really, you know, uh, you know any uh, of the uh, Adamus Board any can guide you to the. Uh, to the right people if uh, if you or someone you know is is in need correct and and that's the other part just in general it's, it's tougher with troops because they're supposed to be tough but right. just as a society um as suicide prevention month just knowing those those symptoms and other people understanding that sometimes they can't just pick themselves up by their bootstraps and sometimes they just need that that help yeah again the uh, date for it is uh, thursday september 29th we've got uh, more information on our webpage uh for this uh, silent watch event at the hancock county courthouse calling attention uh during the month of september to uh veteran suicide uh, in particular and again that very sobering fact that we lose 20 uh uh, one veteran every 22 minutes. Again, uh, Titus Allen, Allen Crampworth Management with us uh, this morning. Titus, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, last week, you'll recall that we were talking about the thousands of high-tech jobs that would be created by Intel's new manufacturing facility in Ohio. The other central part of the so-called 21st century economy is, of course, clean energy. Billions of dollars are being invested in this industry as well. And how does Ohio stand to benefit from that side of things? Well, joining us this morning is the Senior Director at the Center for American Progress, Dr. Francis Colon. So let's start with that basic question. And it, one of the big selling points, if you will, of clean energy is that the benefits are more than just jobs, although that's an important component. But how does Ohio stand to benefit economically in the big picture? Absolutely. Well, you said it. Definitely jobs are are a clear winner for Ohio. Already, Ohio has approximately 110,000 workers employed in clean energy jobs. With these investments, mean more jobs. Some estimates say about 30,000 new jobs over the next five years. Um, What we're talking about specifically for Ohio is 13 billion in large scale clean power generation and storage. And there's jobs in all parts of this, from the generation of the energy uh, to the storage of the energy. You need batteries. You need to produce batteries. You need installation of all these things in homes. Um, you, there's rebates that are meant to um, help uh, consumers uh, make their homes more efficient, weatherize them, um, to allow them to put solar panels on their homes, reductions in the cost of the 30, up to 30% in reductions. And we're also talking about um, what they can do with, with these rebates and these tax credits is purchase electric vehicles um, that will also save them money. And there's jobs in all of these categories. I was going to ask, and you kind of touched on some of this already, uh, I was going to ask uh, about some examples of how uh, clean energy, renewable energy investments uh, are increasing employment. So 
we're going to be creating jobs as a result of these investments in manufacturing, production of energy, manufacturing of the components, all the components that go into the batteries, the cars, the appliances. There's rebates for appliances, and residents of Ohio will be able to benefit from up to 100%, 50 to 100% of the cost of an energy-efficient appliance through these rebates. And all of those components of making this a clean energy economy mean jobs for people. So what types of jobs uh, specifically are we talking about surrounding this clean energy uh, industry? Uh, what types We're talking of- about the generation of the electricity, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about so what happens at the solar panel point. We're talking about at the wind turbine point, um, from the productions of the turbines to the installation and the technicians. We're talking about transmission lines that take the energy from the production point into the home. We're talking about the receiving end, all the parts of the home that will be able to receive that energy and, and turn it into benefits for the household. And we're talking about all the parts of the home that need to be retrofitted. Entire buildings will be retrofitted. The retrofitting aspect that's jobs right there. The appliances and the components that go into that, that's jobs. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds as though these jobs will be uh, based really all over, uh, not necessarily in a, a central location, because the next question was going to be, but to hear you talk about it, is where will these jobs be based? But it sounds like uh, that could be just about anywhere and everywhere. Absolutely. Urban and rural. It'll be the person that goes to your home and it'll be the person that's really far away helping produce the energy and install the turbines, right? So we're talking about across the state, there will be jobs created in all areas. Now, one of the things, and again, it goes back to what we were talking about with respect to Intel and all of the uh, headlines that that has grabbed and the uh, partnerships, uh, in the, the public and private partnerships that have uh, made that happen and will uh, train employees for those jobs that be available and so on and so forth. With respect to clean energy, how do those same types of public-private partnerships, federal and state partnerships all come together to maximize that impact? And again, we're talking about, uh, in this case, both economically and environmentally. Absolutely. So what we're talking about is there was a huge investment and, and there is a huge investment being made in this new clean energy economy, right? But these federal dollars will have to trickle down to the state and, and that's where they'll get implemented. They'll get implemented at the local level by companies that will take these manufacturing incentives and, and make them useful to them in terms of building new factories and creating new jobs. And so there has to be a tight working relationship at the state level um, with private companies and the federal government in making sure that these investments do the job that they're intended to do. And that's from the, the building of the new factory to the partnerships that have to happen for rebates to be accessible to consumers and to allow them to have the full benefit of that. And so all of these things are going to get worked out in, in the next weeks and months um, as to how all of this money is going to make it to the states and the states will make this accessible to their people. What kind of a, a timeline are we looking at here? I mean, uh, I'm thinking electric vehicles, which you mentioned as, as a prime example. Obviously, we're seeing more and more of those on the road. Now there is a, a big push to uh, for, for manufacturers to go all electric within the next uh, decade or two. Uh, what kind of a timeline are we talking about for these investments to really start to hit the Ohio economy in a big way? Yeah, well, in terms of electric vehicles, um, there's some electric vehicles that are already eligible. Um, There will be more that will become eligible over time in the next two to three years as investments are made to make sure that the components of the vehicles are made in the U.S., Mm -hmm. um, that they we have, but we're building up the supply chain components, right? Because we've depended for a long time for electric vehicle components on China and other places. Right. And what this does is say, we have to make those supply chains here to be able to build those cars here. The components have to be from here or from our allies with which we have trade relationships. And all of that is coming into play. In the last two weeks, Toyota has announced a new car 
uh, battery factory. Um, Honda has as well. Right. Um, lithium processing plants have been announced, right? So the incentives are having the intended effect, with which, which was to change the behavior of the manufacturing industry and the auto industry. And you mentioned uh, Honda, obviously, as we know, Honda, prime example of an automaker with a, a very strong presence uh, here in Ohio. So again, the Buckeye State sort of uh, in line to uh, benefit uh, in that way from that manufacturer uh, specifically uh, when we're looking at uh, real-world examples here. Again, uh, Dr. Francis Colon is the Senior Director of the Center for American Progress. Where do we get uh, more information? You can visit our website at climatepower.us, um, and there uh, Ohio residents can go figure out exactly how all of these investments, these rebates, these tax credits apply to their pockets. Dr. Cologne, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. <laughs> a man is in custody uh, after going on a rampage inside a McDonald's restaurant on the Lower East Side of Manhattan on Friday morning with an axe. He went on a rampage with an axe inside of Mickey D's. Happened just before 2.30 in the morning. What a surprise. It happened <laughs> in the wee hours of the morning on Friday, right around the time bars close. <laughs> Police say a man from the Bronx got into a fight with three other individuals at the restaurant before calmly reaching into his backpack and pulling out an axe. The man then proceeded to threaten the group uh, that he had been arguing with and he went on to smash countertops, glass dividers, and tables with the axe, causing thousands of dollars in damage. No one was hurt in the incident. The suspect, and this is what makes it really stupid, the suspect was taken into custody on Saturday after bragging about the incident on social media. <laughs> yeah, that's real bright, bragging about it on social it seems like uh, that's what criminals do these days. They brag about their bad behavior on, on the Internet. Speaking of the Internet, this is kind of interesting. Uh, human error being blamed for an unexpected deposit of $249,999 into Sam Curry's bank account. Uh, Sam, you see, is a security engineer who claims that Google deposited the money into his account without any explanation. Now, like we said, he's a security engineer, and he uh, did work freelance for Google. Uh, what he does is search for bugs in large tech companies' uh, systems, uh, and he had been hired uh, for Google by Google for a project they were working on, could not find uh, any um, ex exploits or weaknesses uh, in the uh, project that he was working on. Uh, so initially, he thought maybe it was just payment, but it seemed $250,000 seemed a little high for uh, the work that he had, uh, that he had performed. Uh, Google representatives said, our team recently made a payment to the wrong party as a result of human error. Uh, Ms. Curry uh, says he will give the money back. So being honest about it. But I thought that was just absolutely crazy. Number one, because you wake up one morning and find Google has deposited $250,000 into your bank account. And number two, Google says it was a human error. Really? There are humans that work at Google? I mean, <laughs> I thought it was, that was a surprise to me. I thought it was all uh, algorithms and uh, AI that uh, did everything at Google. It was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, let's see. From the international file, the uh, broken news, customs officials in Germany <laughs> found 93 giant African land snails at the Dusseldorf airport, according to authorities. Um, people will all try to smuggle in uh, all kinds of things uh, to avoid customs. This one person <laughs> found 93 uh, giant African land snails, along with fish and uh, assorting meat, assorted meat that had begun to go, go rancid, uh, were also found in the uh, this passenger's luggage, I guess. Uh, 
And But what's really funny about it is how they found all of the contraband by following a trail of slime left by one rogue snail. Customs agents found the bag it had escaped from and all of its buddies. <laughs> they just followed the trail of slime, led them right to the package. <laughs> The uh, snails that survived are now with an animal rescue service, and the meat was disposed of. <laughs> Spokesperson for the Dusseldorf Airport said, Never in the history has a trail of slime led us to smuggled goods. <laughs> Always a first time. Uh, let's see... Speaking of animals, a Colorado resident was so focused on keeping bears away from his trash cans that apparently he forgot that trash collectors also uh, have an interest in his garbage. Uh, the, uh, this is from Ure County, Colorado. Uh, local news reports are that the, uh, the resident of this uh, home heard that bears are not fans of chili powder. And so he loaded up his garbage bins with like jars and jars of chili powder uh, and rigged it to explode whenever the lid to the garbage can was opened. <laughs> Figured that'd scare away the bears, right? Well, unfortunately, it was the trash collector who accidentally triggered the trap and got a whole bunch of chili powder right in the face. The uh, worker called into his office, let, him, uh, let them know what had happened. Local officials are now asking residents not to booby trap their trash. <laughs> Please don't booby trap your trash. That's not a good idea. <laughs> uh, fortunately, the trash collector is going to be fine. Uh, the Ure Police Department reminded uh, their followers on Facebook that it is bear fattening season, which means that the bears are even more opportunistic because they're getting ready for hibernation. But please do not booby trap your trash cans. <laughs> and finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, this is why, and again, it's another animal story. This is why you should make a habit of checking under the hood of your car from time to time, especially if you park it outside, and especially this time of year. Uh, Shahana Mirza is a native of Toronto. She had been spending time at her parents' house in New York after welcoming the birth of her child. And she hadn't been driving much, but... The time, few times that she did drive, she said she didn't notice anything out of the ordinary until her car began shaking. Shaking, she said. She thought it was just due to be serviced. The light came on. She needed an oil change and all of that. So she took it into the dealership. Imagine my surprise and the look on the face of the mechanic when they popped the hood to discover a huge squirrel's nest in the engine. The rodent had gotten inside and chewed up the entirety of the hood's insulation. The nest sprawled the entire width of the engine compartment, and every last available inch was covered in a mountain of acorns, walnuts, rocks, and other various tree nuts. <laughs> the sight of it was unbelievable, she said. And instead of paying for just an oil change, she had to fork over nearly $1,000 to repair all the damage. The dealership replaced the insulation, cleaned out the car's engine. Uh, Ms. Mirza says she is glad that $1,000 was all she had to pay. It could have been a lot worse, uh, noting that the squirrels did not chew through any wiring or anything because that would have been... She has been instructed to drive her car regularly to prevent any nests in the future. Wow. <laughs> and again, it's at that time of the year when the uh, squirrels are socking away nuts for the winter and all of that. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. A cautionary tale there. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news is brought to you this morning. As a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Wake up and text. 
text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Uh, Forbes is out with their, I believe this is an annual thing they do with the most confrontational drivers study. So the Forbes Advisors Most Confrontational Drivers survey basically tracking road rage across these United States. And according to this survey... Believe it or not, the most aggressive confrontational drivers are in Utah, of all places. More than one in five Utahns, is that how you, what do you call them? Utahns? Utah. Let's put it this way. More than one in five Utah residents have witnessed someone causing an accident while acting on road rage. Road rage. One in five. 23% say they know of someone uh, in their state who have been injured in such a crash. 76% say they've been honked at by an irate driver. Almost the same number have been tailgated, and nearly 60% have gotten flipped off by other motorists. This is all in Utah, uh, the worst state in the nation for aggressive, confrontational, road rage driving. Missouri ranked a close second on the list. 54% of Missourians uh, say that they have been cut off by an angry driver. 8% in that state say another driver has shown them the barrel of their gun. Wow. Uh, Colorado uh, was third on the list. Uh, Let's see here. Nearly half of drivers in Colorado say they've been insulted or threatened by other motorists. Oklahoma was fourth on the list. Uh, Let's see here. Oklahomans tied with Alabama and Delaware as the drivers most likely to be forced off the road by another person. But overall, Oklahoma fourth on the list. And rounding out the top five, New Mexico. So it seems like out west is the Utah, Missouri, Colorado, Oklahoma, and New Mexico, the uh, the top five for the most aggressive confrontational uh, drivers. Uh, let's see here. The rest of the top 10, Nevada, Maryland, Indiana, Washington, Washington State, and Delaware. Rounding out the top 10. The least confrontational drivers. I thought this was interesting. North Dakota, Pennsylvania. North Dakota, dead last on the list. Uh, Pennsylvania. Michigan, Florida, and New York uh, were the bottom five. I mean, I don't know your experience uh, with drivers in Florida and New York, and even Michigan for that matter, (laughs) but they seem to be much more confrontational than that. I don't know if I'd put them in the top five necessarily, but the bottom five, that really surprised me. Ohio, by the way, ranked 24th overall. And for all states, 85% of drivers surveyed say that they have experienced at least one form of road rage. Some instances, like frustrated honking, may be not all that big of a deal. But other forms can have far more severe consequences. 19% of drivers said they witnessed drivers lose control of their vehicles because of their road rage. Wow. Well, September 19th through the 25th is Rail Safety Week. According to the Federal Railroad Administration, there were 2,147 highway rail incidents at railroad crossings last year, leading to nearly 1,000 injuries and fatalities. William Miller is the Public Safety Director at Norfolk Southern. So, Will, how do those numbers compare to what we would have seen, say, 10, 20, 30 years ago? One would hope that we are seeing fewer each year 
do we see fewer each year or what's the trend? Well, Chris, I mean, the, the numbers really speak for themselves. Um, it, it's a staggering number. But if, if you look back 30 years, 20 years ago, there have been uh, significant reductions in, in a number of these types of events. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is, if you look back over the last 10 years, the trend line really has plateaued. And thankfully, we're not seeing increases, but we're also not seeing the decreases that we we really need to have in our country. Mm. So, again, we say we mentioned rail safety week. Talk about the goals then. Obviously, the overarching goal is to reduce those numbers. It is. It's uh, this is an opportunity to to get uh, information out to people in a in a concentrated manner. So rail safety week started in 2017. So this is year number six. Uh, it's uh, really headed up by Operation Lifesaver, who is celebrating their their 50th anniversary this year. But the, the railroads have been doing these type of safety efforts for really for a long time because at, at Norfolk Southern, our trains run 24-7, 365, uh, but so do our safety efforts. What Rail Safety Week gives us is an opportunity to really get out and remind the public of their role in, in keeping themselves safe. So with that in mind, let's talk about uh, some of the uh, top safety tips, uh, whether we're walking or driving around railroad tracks. And a lot of this is going to be stuff that people have heard before, but obviously the numbers tell us it bears repeating. Yeah, well, and hopefully I'll, I'll be able to share a couple of things that maybe they haven't heard before. Um, let's talk about walking first. And th- the first thing that I would say that train tracks are made to do one thing. And that's carry trains. Um, it's not a place to walk, jog, take a shortcut. Um, we we only want people to cross by foot or say on, on bicycle at designated railroad crossings. Uh, the other thing is it's private property. It's uh, it's not a public right of way by any means. So the only people that should be on railroad property or uh, definitely near the tracks are you know, our employees or, you know, people that are trained and have a, have a reason to be there. And with uh, respect to uh, drivers? Yeah, with respect to drivers, um, look, there are three leading causes for those type of incidents um, that, that happen in the United States. And that's either the driver just did not stop and got hit by a train, uh, the driver stopped on the crossing and got hit by a train, or the driver chose to go around lower crossing gates and, and gets hit by a train. Those, those things, they're not accidents. They're completely preventable. And so what we want people to know is, you know, when, when you see a track, think train, always be looking for a train when you approach a, a, how a highway crossing. And if, if you do these things, um, you know, you'll, you'll be fine. And it, it can take more than a mile for your average freight train to come to a stop. We say trains, trains can stop. They just, they can't stop quickly. So, you know, by the time the train crew would see, uh, someone on the tracks, either walking or, or, you know, a a car that's stopped on the tracks, it's probably really too late for them to do anything right at that point yeah and the other thing that always strikes me is uh how deceptive the speed of a train is because it's such a large vehicle uh it is likely moving uh more quickly than what it appears to a pedestrian or uh, a driver and i know that is also a contributing factor to uh, many of these accidents yeah and and all the more reason to, to stay off of railroad property and don't even come close to it only cross where designated and cross with caution and in accordance with, with the laws. And if you do what you should do, if you do what you should uh, do by law, then you'll be okay. Yeah. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting. You were uh, mentioning, you know, uh, always assuming that there is a train. I, I reminded of the times and we've all had this where we've uh, been behind a, a commercial vehicle or a school bus that always stops at those tracks and, and we uh, kind of get frustrated because they're uh, stopping when you quote unquote don't need to. And really, we all should be doing that. Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, uh, those type of vehicles are governed by laws specific to, yeah. um, to their nature. But 
you know, we, we should all be looking for trains, um, yeah. no matter what, when we, when we cross and, and just your, you use your caution. Um, the other thing I, w- I really want to remind your listeners to this week is that at every crossing in the United States, there is a blue sign. It's an emergency notification sign posted at the crossing. It has a 1-800 number uh, directly to railroad dispatching. So if there are any issues, say you're towing a trailer or a boat, and for whatever reason you get hung up, don't try to move it. Don't call a friend to help you move it. Call the number. Tell us where you are and try to give us you know ample time to stop any approaching train traffic. Some really good uh, safety advice to hopefully reduce those numbers of highway rail incidents, injuries, and especially fatalities. Again, William Miller is the public safety director at North Norfolk Southern. Uh, where do we get more information about Rail Safety Week and the uh, Stop Track Tragedies campaign? So your listeners could go to OLI.org, which is the Operation Lifesaver website, to get more info on Rail Safety Week. Uh, safety tips they could request a volunteer to come out and give a safety presentation to a, a group that could benefit you know school group civic group um you know if there's anyone out there that has a passion for rail safety is passion for education and wants to do something good in their community they can also learn how to become a volunteer at oli.org well thanks very much for taking the time we appreciate it chris thank you And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, it has been exactly five years since Hurricane Maria virtually wiped out the U.S. territory of Puerto Rico. Not only has it been a long, slow recovery, it was a storm that changed the way relief organizations approach these disasters moving forward. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.